House of Run podcast. What are you into these days? Mostly running, Howard. Running. Yeah. Look at Bill! Look at Bill! Coming on! Bill, you're coming on! I'm not thinking about making the team. I'm thinking about gold in Munich. What can I say? I got beat by a zebra. Starts now. Welcome back to the House of Run podcast. I'm Kevin, he's Jason Hasselbrun at gmail.com is our email address. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Jason, we have, well, we have a new leader in the clubhouse for <sighs> Athlete of the Year. Maybe My, it is going to be a weekly segment. That's. <laughs> I was a little worried. I listened back to the episode. I said, why did I say that? Why did I float that idea? We're not going to talk about it for two months. But then... But then you had Ryan Krauser just throwing the heck out of the shot as he does, as he does. And in his first attempt, breaks the indoor world record in the shot. But I should have seen this coming because unless the record starts with the 23, as in 23 meters, Ryan Krauser is probably going to get it. Probably going to get it. Well, it's hard to throw out indoors. It's uh, everything's weird somehow. I don't yeah. really know how that works, but yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, it's not like looking at the list. I go, okay, that's that makes sense. Like I'm not uh, I'm not too shocked by that. I mean, hey, now just now just break us out to our record too, and then we're good. Twenty two eighty two. It's pr- pretty good. Pretty good. So, yeah, it's a t- it's what like the seventh longest throw ever. Yeah, so regardless it's his, of, of roofs involved, <laughs> it's his it's his third best. Sometimes the dimensions of the the the, the throwing uh, sector are different, so there is a little bit of difference. I remember I went to a well when I went to World Indoors, and I think it was Thomas Walsh of New Zealand said he had never thrown indoors before. Mm. I'm, I might be mixing this up with somebody else, but there was somebody there who said they had never thrown indoors before, and they said that there was a difference and it was because of the um, d- dimensions that you're throwing with. Regardless, the only dimension that matters for Krauser is length because he throws it far every single time and he wore a hat a la Dave Waddle. But Dave Waddle was outside when he did it. Yeah, the hat inside. It's a, it's a bold move fashion choice, but I like it. I respect it. Second greatest it. hat performance of all time, I'd say. Whew. That's, that's good. I'm trying to think. I mean, we have to limit the track, right? Because otherwise, every baseball. I don't know. Play. I think this might be better than a lot of baseball plays. <laughs> the best baseball plays are when your hat flies off. Mm, that's, that's the that's point. And you I catch like. the ball in your hat. So <laughs> that's my favorite play. <laughs> exactly. It was in every kid's baseball movie in the 90s, and there was 6,000 of those movies. Does that count? That counts, right? Are you allowed to I, use it? I think it does, um, but uh, you know, there's nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't play. Um, <laughs> can you catch a baseball with your hat? Let's there you see. go. What does Fangraph say? Get your guy on the line here. Ask him. Oh no, it is not legal. Oh. The fielder must catch the ball with his hand or glove. If the fielder mm-hmm. uses his cap, protector, pocket, or any other part of his uniform in getting possession, it is not a catch. So you can't do the old catch it with your shirt thing. Do you think we'll ever see a a time when someone's so confident they're going to catch it that they just toss the mitt and then catch it barehanded mm. for maybe the final out in the World Series? That's a really a really bold move because uh, if you screw it up, 
you're known as the biggest dumbass in the history of sports, right? <laughs> well, say you're up nine nothing. Yeah, I mean, it just uh, you know, you, you see, uh, you know, you see people make awesome barehand grabs sometimes because it takes a weird hop, or yeah. you know, you just angle your body stuff like that, and those are always those are always interesting, but. It's uh, pitchers. They're they're told not you know to try to avoid that because sometimes out of reaction you'll do it, mm. but then they can injure injure their hands. Would it be the catching equivalent of the bat flip? <laughs> it's a good. Oh, that's a good point. Um, Would it hmm. disrespect the game? <sighs> like like a Dottie Henson where you like do the splits and you do it, or she catches it behind her back. I mean, I just think we can add a little bit of panache to. The I'm, hey, I'm all for the Dottie Henson. That was, she was she was killing it. Yeah. Um, they catch the ball 99.99% of the time. I think it'd be cool if, like, here's a high fly ball in a deep center. A baseball player is under it. Oh, he throws his glove in the air. He catches it barehanded. And the Cubs win the World Series. I think it'd be cool. I mean, that would have, uh, yeah. that would No have one's been... tried this? I, I can't say for sure. There's been... Um... So many thousands of baseball games over the past 130 years. I'm sure in the 1870s when the game started, the you know the gloves were basically made of I don't know onions or something. Yeah, but yeah, I believe that's true. (laughs) Okay, well, this is a good question for your baseball podcasting friends. That's right. I think we should get to the bottom of that. Uh, We we got a lot of emails that I want to get to on this show, but uh, of course we got to run down. These results from the from the ATL meet talked about Krauser. Uh, he deserves a world record song, Jason. So I guess we should uh, play that. And also, he is now the new leader in the clubhouse for Athlete of the Year for the men, replacing Hughes Fabrice Zongo, who you got the indoor world record in the triple jump, but I'm going to put Krauser in there as the leader now. I, I'm giving more weight to his world record. I think that's fair. It's, you know, it's still close. Like, he still made the finals. Um, which was good. He got the invite. Yeah, he's bumped down part. to the second. He's still in the room. He's just in that second chair. Yeah. Um, and they don't want to, you know, it's it's like it always goes to a triple jumper. So it's, you know, especially indoor <laughs> triple jumpers. So I think this is fair. Um, enjoy your world record song. It's a world record The likes of which has never been seen It's a world record Highest, fastest, farthest a human's ever achieved Wouldn't believe if I told you Go to YouTube and I'll show you Got results to verify Well, it's a world record The likes of which has never been seen Well, it's a world record Highest, fastest, farthest a human's ever achieved Well, it's a world record Well, it's a Don't go too far, House of Run DJ, because you're going to have to play another song Whew. in a moment. Because Grant Holloway equaled his American record in the 60-meter hurdles, which is 
mighty impressive to do this early in the season. And when we're like, hey, are they in shape? Are they out of shape? What sort of shape are they in? But he runs 735, which is what he ran at the NCAA championships in 2019. Yes. One by two tenths, complete blowout. I don't know what else you say other than I think Holloway could be looking at his third straight gold if last year wasn't canceled because mm. he's he's running really well right now. Last year's season was kind of wonky for him because he did ind- a, you know a, a, an indoor meet and then everything shut down and then he came back later and did some meets in Europe. So I don't like he was just getting going. I felt like when he, cause he won that world title off of not great preparation. I mean, he was great at NCAAs, but there was a huge layoff. Remember? And then he went to Europe and struggled a little bit. Yeah. Made the, made the team, but wasn't spectacular in Des Moines. And then no, I thought he was, no, I did not think he was going to win gold that year just because of this, you know, the season just seemed too long. Yeah. And then he got it all sorted out and somehow pulled it out in the clutch. It was it wasn't a, a PR performance for him or his best race and he still won and that made me think, okay, well, when he gets it all together and when he's able just to focus as a pro on this one event, it's gonna be it's gonna be curtains for everybody else. And I'm starting to think that might be the case. But I don't know. There's a lot of good good names out there too. Yeah, I mean I, I think obviously this boats well for Holloway. He was already the favorite, probably, uh likely. So going into the season and yeah, running uh, you know, tying your American record right off the bat can't can't be a bad thing. Um but you know, Daniel Roberts is yeah right there, competed with him really well, is even younger. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. by six months, but whatever. Uh so ho- ho- hopefully we get some crazy battles of them going back and forth because that was really fun in uh twenty nineteen. Yeah. Definitely. And we'll talk about one of Holloway's rivals who doesn't look like he's gonna be on the start line this year a little later on in the show. Oh, American That's record tease. song time, though. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening to this, I think you know who you're talking about. American record time. American record song time now for Mr. Grant Holloway for the second time in his career he gets to hear the song. That's right, for not even PRing. Good job. <laughs> hey, man, did you see that record? No, not a world, but an American record. Maybe it was a world record, too. It was the best performance by an American citizen or a relay team composed of American citizens and an athletics event within the United States or abroad. Hey man, did you see that American record? Okay, we talk Krauser, we talk Holloway, but I think the most significant performance of the meet, Jason, came in the 60 for the mm. men with Trayvon Bromel. Explain to me why I should not be excited about Trayvon Bromel's performance. Talk me out of this. I, I, I don't have a great reason not to talk you out of it. Um, he dominated your boy, your boy, Marvin Bracey. Um, who yeah. we know dominates the indoors. Well, my other guy, DeGrasse, didn't make the final. Yeah, that's that's. I about, didn't have that on my. That's about standard list. for him, though, right? I mean, 
I don't think he's a 60 guy, but yeah. Something, no, cl- definitely clearly, not. Some, clearly something was up. Clearly he's closer to a 200 guy than he is a 60 guy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think that matters too much, but yeah, it's just the fact that he's, I mean, I didn't think it was a fluke uh, the way he had, he had run last year, but um, just to kind of pick up where you left off, I mean, really the only thing you hold your breath on is that he stays healthy. Mm-hmm. And as long as that's the case, I think he's going to be really good. And I think he's got a really good chance to make the team. And that's pretty crazy to say still. 648. So he's one one hundredth off his PR. I am as the co-favorite for gold. Whew. Assuming Coleman is suspended. Yes. Coleman's not suspended. I guess I would just move him down one spot and say he's the co-favorite for <laughs> silver at that point. Other sense. than other than Lyles, who do you think can beat him? Uh, I mean, Ly- yeah, Lyles would be it. Um, I guess you can't out can't count out Gatlin fully yet because who knows? Yeah. Um, but outside of that, it's really hard to uh, come up with someone who you feel confident can run nine eight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. like how. Uh, Odds are because there's always like four or five guys who end up running like a nine eight eight at some point during the season. Yeah. But like how many guys would you give fifty percent or better chance to run under nine nine this year? Under nine nine? Yeah. We can count them. Yeah. L- I mean Lyles. Lyles. Brumel. Yep. I think Baker. Big question mark, but possible for sure. I'm just throwing out. I'm just throwing out everybody. Like possibilities, yeah. And then we can go from there. I think you'd have to say Gatlin. There's a possibility. Yes. Uh, the grass. You'd have to say there's a possibility. Even though he's never done it before. Well, you didn't say win legal. That's you did not your, say damn technicalities. Legal. <laughs> I got you on the technicality. I'm looking back at 2019 to see who else. Uh, Odaduru did it. Uh, yeah, more of a stretch now, but maybe. I mean, you uh, never know. I mean, I can see someone like Simbine. Like Simbine, yeah, like dropping one. Maybe Zarnell Hughes. Yeah. I would say six, seven, I'd probably put the over-under at. Under okay. sub-nine, nine. But, any, but about half of those... I think are worse than a 50% chance, right? Like, I mean, like, cause I could, you could make the argument for 10, 10 of these guys. Right. But if, if Hughes does it, it's not yeah. crazy. Like, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a good runner. And if he runs a nine eighty eight, like I'm not, I'm not blown away by that. It's, yeah. It seems possible, but like, um, if you're making an over under, it, it wouldn't be nine ninety. It wouldn't be. Oh, for him. Correct, yeah. correct. But I think that there's a big big enough pool of people who... Right. Like, Rodgers in the right race. It would not stun me if Rodgers ran 989. Like, if gets a gets in a crazy fast race and gets that 2.0, like, that would not... I would not be flabbergasted with him running that time. Is it likely? No, it's not likely. Most of these guys, it's not likely. But I think there's just enough people who, if they get in that right race and right conditions... I mean, let's take it a step further. What about nine eight sub nine eight? One and a half? <laughs> like what would yeah, you put Lyles, that line at? Lyles was is the biggest favorite in that by far, just ceiling wise. I, I, I think his odds are much better than Bramel's. Um just because of his 
like uh, insane potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be really shocked if anyone runs nine seven something this year. Yeah, it would be. I think it would be one and a half. Their PRs right are are mid nine eights, Bromel and, and Lyles, and those are the the two favorites. I can see them ticking off a little bit more, but I would yeah, I would put it one point five or maybe even point five, to be honest. Yeah, I, I I think it's very likely that nobody does it. Um, yeah, obviously Coleman was the one guy you would would have counted on for that. It was really strange how it went from. Oh, we're gonna be we're spoiled because of Bolt putting up so many, you know, nine routine nine sevens. Yeah, then, just, and, and, and you were kind of I, you were you were angry almost at it. You're like, oh, he only ran nine seventy seven. But I remember being like, whoa, when Coleman ran nine seven six in Doha, I was like, that's pretty oh, fast. It's huge. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I reverted right back because we had a whole season full of high nine eights and a lot of nine nines. So when a when a seven popped up on the clock, it was. It was still surprising. It was still like, oh, okay, that's that, that, that's pretty quick. I just think he's with this new coach now, and obviously, your your net your health is never guaranteed. But with each passing race, I become more and more confident that they've figured something out with yeah. his body that's making him able to run at this level again. Because how old is twenty? He's 25. I just looked at it and I could not believe it. Yeah. Like, I, I think even a month ago or whatever, when we, we talked about it and I saw he was 25 and I couldn't believe it then, can't believe it now. It seems impossible that he's 25. Yeah, but he is because I checked too. So that's two of us checking. So, yeah, he's injury prone, obviously, based on what he's done. But this isn't the case of you're like putting back together an aging athlete and then hoping that they have one last ride. It's more, okay, let's just figure out how to optimize this athlete. And they're still in their prime. They're optimus prime. Do, do you understand the like this distinction there? Yeah. I, I, I think that's a question. Yeah. It's like Durant, you know, with the Achilles. It's like, oh, that's a major injury, but he's still in his prime. And they were, they were able, it looks so far, correct? Like they were able just to recreate the old Kevin Durant from a couple. Oh yeah, years he ago. looks he looks basically exactly the same. Yeah. It's yeah, and, and that should happen. It used to be much more rare for that stuff to happen, but you know, modern medicine, everything being what it is, like it's it's obviously never a guarantee. Some people never get back, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's awesome when it actually happens. Yeah, well, when you have all that stuff happen to you before you're 25. Or in his case, it was like when he was twenty three. <laughs> the whole your whole career is still in front of you. Even if you're even if you're gonna say, okay, well this person, they're gonna peak late twenties, or they're gonna start hitting their downfall, their down downward slide in the late twenties. Well, he's still got like three years until that happens. Yeah, he could he could go on a nice little run here when he's still at his best. I, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, and I know I am getting way too far ahead of myself, but he just keeps submitting evidence for the record <laughs> every time he runs now that this is the Trayvon Bromel uh, of old, the Trayvon Bromel that we got so excited about a couple of years ago. And it's just remarkable. Do you have anything, any other highlights from this meet, the first edition of the ATL? No, that's, I mean, those were the, the major ones, I think. Um, 
yeah, nothing else that kind of like jumped out crazy. Um, Fred Curley ran a decent 400 for, you know, an indoor four. Yeah, 40, 45 low. 45 yeah. 0 is, I mean, like that's that's a good time indoors. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would love to see a more consistent Fred Curley season. He's been good without question. Mm-hmm. Like he's had a, g- a good career, but like if he, if he can establish himself as like consistently 43, eight, 43, like in that range more on a regular basis, like that's, I think that's a big, uh, big thing for him. Next topic. This is old news now, but there was a lot of reporting and then, panic about this olympic story and about a yeah unnamed official in the government saying eh tokyo's this is not gonna happen tokyo 2021 not gonna happen everybody then pushed back on the story the ioc members of the the japanese government every pretty much any entity you could think of said no no we're planning on moving ahead as scheduled on time I don't have any new thoughts on this other than I have a feeling I think it will happen and I don't think there will be fans if I had to guess right now, but I'm just like everybody else making guesses. Yeah, I, I think it's – it's we knew, we knew it wasn't going to be this like super easy normal Olympics like that's – and the Olympics are hard enough when you got amortization yeah. and everything. Um, but <laughs> – you know, it was going to be a, it was going to be a challenge. It wasn't going to be easy. There was going to be stuff that happens. Look at every sport. Look at the Grizzlies right now. They haven't played in a month. It seems like. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it's going to be tough. And I don't know who this person was. I don't know who does. Um, Nobody does. Yeah. Except the reporter. That's yeah. The whoever. It's just just random guy. Whoever it is. Uh. But yeah. I mean, I hope it happens. Obviously, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. If it happens, I want him to do it safely. Clearly. Um, yeah. And obviously, you spend about a crap load. I think is the right amount of money um, <laughs> to put on the Olympics. And then if you can't have people, that's yeah. a that's a rough pill to swallow. Um, but it's what you have to do. Um, and you already have all the you know prep work and everything. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I hope they can still make it happen. Obviously, the IOC, according to this article I read on ESPN, the IOC makes about three fourths of their money off of TV. Okay, now. Yeah. Now and and they get they get the host city to pay for everything too, right? Which is the other part of it. So that's why it's hard to pick up and move to another city. But I don't know. It seems that I I don't know the financial agreement, but I would think that would mean okay, IOC, you get the TV money. Well, then we're going to get a good chunk of the gate receipts, or we're going to be able to sell the concessions or sell the sponsorship stuff. That does that decrease when there's no fans? Obviously, that gets cut down dramatically. And we'll have to have a full economic impact study done with regards to amortization and things of that nature, like Crab Rangoon. But I'm just – if they're given the choice, no Olympics or Olympics without fans, they're going to say Olympics without fans, and they're going to have to try to make it good somehow with Tokyo. Right. Or maybe Tokyo doesn't want the fans, and they're just saying, okay. Yeah, we'll, that's, we'll that's take what I wonder, too. Yeah. If, yeah, if Tokyo just goes, like, yeah, it sucks to take a massive loss, obviously. But we did all this stuff to get ready for the Olympics. We're, I mean, 
do you just go screw it? Let's let's do the Olympics. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I mean, I you know, there's so many things that go into effect with stuff like that and uh, st- stuff you have to consider. But it just seems like if you're most of the way there, and the only way you can do it, and maybe I, I mean, I don't know. Like it's said, you know, Japan hopes to land a bid for the 2032 Olympics. Like if they put on this Olympics with no fans and everything like that, does the IOC just go, okay, let's award them the 2032 Olympics so they can do it the, the full way. Are they going to want it again? I I mean, the fact, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know the legitimacy of the times of London, anything like that. I don't know anything about them. I didn't know anything about them until I saw that tweet. Um, but I'm saying, but I'm saying like wood from Tokyo's perspective and what we know about cities after they host their Olympics. Right. And what they feel about, those Olympics and how oftentimes it's a big money loser because, again, can't put too much weight on amortization. Is that? Oh, but I guess yeah, if cool. you Let's did all the stuff, if you did all, I mean, and obviously there's stuff you have to redo or whatever. Um, ten years later, but like if you did all that, like maybe that mitigates some of it, and maybe it still, yeah, is doable. I honestly, I mean, who knows? I, I have zero idea. But if they actually do want the bid, um. I would be more apt to to let them have it. I just and, think uh, they'll. Tokyo I think they'll be awesome, able to, from so a, from an athlete coach perspective. I think they'll be able to get that many people safely there with testing with vaccine. Like they'll be able to set up a protocol that again, it's not going to be perfect, and people right. are going to have to. You know, these athletes are going to have to. They will be probably taking at least some risk, but I think they'll be able to get with all the money behind it. They'll be able to get it set up. And maybe some venues will be able to have people, but I don't think it's hard to envision a full opening ceremonies with a packed stadium taking place or a hundred meter final with a packed stadium or a breakdancing quarterfinal with <laughs> a quarter full nightclub, which is where breakdancing is actually held in nightclubs. Yeah. Was what, I heard, was what I learned. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't – I. when I read this, I was skeptical immediately of just like, well, anybody who's going to say – anybody – you could you could poll anybody. Oh, is it going to happen? You're not going to lose money most times saying stuff's going to get canceled in the COVID era. You're not. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's – yeah. It's been the GameStop of uh, making money apparently. <laughs> That's a thing. Right, everyone's talking about it. Yeah, um, just men- just just go full SEO with this episode. Just mention yeah, things. I feel like I just news. gotta you know gotta get those clicks. Um, I don't know how podcasts work. Uh, so <laughs> I've been <laughs> clicking on the podcast for weeks now. Yeah. Okay. What about uh, this other story about the Boston Marathon planning, planning, and hopefully this comes through because if there's marathons. With 50,000 people, there's everything. Yeah. October 11th, which would be the Monday after the Chicago Marathon on October 10th. So they have a date. They picked it out. London has obviously already said they're going to be in the fall. So that puts all six marathon majors in the fall. And then you throw in the Olympics and you're going to have all the majors for 2021, except for Dubai, which we know is the seventh, sixth, seventh major. Uh all between the August 7th and November 7th window. What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you go with, hey, if we can, if this is the only way we can do it, 
then let's do it. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure Yuki is salivating right now at just looking at this. He's like, man, this is my chance. Um, All of them. Yeah. No, no, he's you, like, can, yeah, you can only pick four. Nope. All of them. I, the Chicago-Boston double is going to be particularly impressive. Um, <laughs> so I look forward to that. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's you do what you can. You know, I mean, that's all that you can do during this this time is like you plan it the best you can it you know it'll be a little stretched thin but maybe we'll see some uh weird interesting races and uh i hope every one of them happens that'd be mm-hmm. cool and it's possible you know that's still six months plus away for, for all this getting started so uh I'm, I'm optimistic even if it's uh you know i mean we'll have tons to talk about in october oh my goodness yeah it's gonna, gonna be, be- it's going to be amazing. And I think you're right. There'll be weird results, but who cares? We'll have results. Yeah, we're going to way overreact to some American man finishing second in Chicago. Yeah. Because but, it's just like there was no one else in the race, but it's still going to be fun. Yeah, but it's a race that's happening. And if there's a yep. mass race behind them, it means we're at least at a point in the pandemic where we can have huge road races, which to me is better than we are in right now. So I'll take the, I'll take having to explain to somebody why an obscure person, <laughs> why someone ran two eighteen and finished second yes. in Chicago. Without question. Sign me up was, for it right now. Was it the shoes? It was all of the shoes. They had all of the shoes on their feet. That's how they did it. It was just a, uh, it was amazing. Okay. What else do we have to talk about? Oh, you want to talk about Jim Walmsley missing the 100K record by 12 seconds? Oh, that's uh, that's I like we only talk about ultra marathons when someone misses a record yeah. by an excruciatingly small amount. Yeah, that's I mean, kudos to him. He shattered the American record. Um, just when you run for that long and you miss it by 11 seconds. That's rough, man. Um, 12. I think it's 12. Don't take too many. Don't make this even worse, Jason. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, man, it's, that's, that's hard. And it's, you know, I, I didn't watch it. Sorry. Um, you didn't tune in for Steel six Town hours. Runners. Um, I was, you know, I, I like to, uh, I like to follow it. I think Walmsley is incredible. <laughs> like, it's absolutely yeah. bonkers. Uh, like, I just said about, you know, so many times it's, it's a different sport. Like, it's just, so crazy what these guys can do um but uh that's i can't imagine <laughs> just you know he was by all accounts you know even afterwards he, he didn't like a lot of people would say in a race like this it's like oh if you could have just second here second there he seemed to be saying that he was pretty happy with his performance like he felt like he did everything he could and mm-hmm. he was sprinting you know down the stretch like every bit but world records are hard yeah Sub six minute miles for sixty two miles. That's it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. That's wild. That's wild to think about, and it's also just you can't you can't plan your effort out. I mean, I don't know. I've never run a hundred k, but I've run a marathon before and missed my goal time. Yeah, but I felt completely powerless about it because I was just completely gone. My legs were done. My whole body yeah. was done. So he's probably just watching the time tick off, and it's like, it'd be great to go faster, but I just can't. I yeah. cannot move my body. 
he, you know, he probably is kicking himself. He went out a little too fast. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, you take that first 10 miles too fast, and then it's all rough from there. What happened? I just overkicked it, the, overcooked it the first 50K, <laughs> and uh, I just didn't know, uh, couldn't, couldn't rein it back in. Yeah, I just, his lean maybe should have timed it a little better. Oh, man, that's, I mean, as long as he doesn't fall across the line, that would have been illegitimate in my eyes. <laughs> is that the rule? Yeah, that's. I mean, to me, it is, and to uh, Daniel he looked, Brooklyn, he looked. He looked so done. Yeah, of course. I mean, if he crossed the finish line like Elliot Kipchoge, I would be disappointed. <laughs> Asking some questions, like I'd just be like, "What? Come on, man! Like, what are you doing?" Um, I still think once Kipchoge decides to retire from marathoning, he should just run one ultra, set the set the record impossibly out of range for ultra marathoners for the next i don't know 50 years Mm -hmm. you think you could do it huh oh yes absolutely Mm. like the he might not be the best ultra marathoner in the world but one of the best marathoners in the world are right i mean like i don't know sorry if i'm insulting the ultra running uh, community with that it's well, just, I feel like we have this conversation every we do time. but i just i don't no like no part of me believes that the best ultra marathoner guy is not running marathons currently yeah i think kipchoge is a safe bet especially i mean at least for 50k at least for 50k um 100k i guess you're getting into some weird territory because then you're running three times the amount of distance right so that's sort of weird to, to sort out but okay let's go to email i think it's email yeah. time house of run at gmail.com is the email address gonna read a few of these email wow we're only 35 minutes into the show feels like we yeah covered it, a lot. i was i was thinking the same thing it felt like a felt like a little longer yeah i don't know what's uh i don't know what to think i don't know what's going on here um all right uh marshall has one from last week uh let's see on a long run with a friend we discuss at length the relevant running topics of u.s running including boston and the new olympic standard requirements subsequent to one subsequent to the run i was intrigued to see just how many individuals in the u.s have ever broken two eleven thirty in the marathon foolishly i believed a quick google search of fastest u.s men's marathon times would provide the results instantly Turns out this was not the case. After several starts and stops, for example, the USATF US all-time list hasn't been updated since April 12th, 2011. Uh, WTF, USATF, get it together. I was able to cobble together a lengthy list of US times, thanks to Peter Larson of Sweden for his compendium of all race times faster than 210.27. I would also consider thanking the IAAF for its list of all-time lists, but they do not include times run at Boston, given its net downhill, and thanking the IAAF makes me want to vomit. All time, there have been approximately 55 different Americans to run uh, a marathon faster than 211.30. That includes Boston. In the last 30 years, only 15 Americans have run sub 210.30. There were 15 different individuals who ran sub 210.30 between Bill Rogers in 1975 and Patrick Peterson slash Ken Martin in 1989. And oh, by the way, there were 165 Kenyans or Ethiopians who ran 21030 or faster in 2018 alone. One would think that given the improvements in technology, training, science, recovery, the money available in the marathon, etc., we would have more Americans surpassing the 210 barrier on a consistent basis. Unfortunately, the times and numbers are equivalent to back in the day 
when Bill Rogers and crew were racing every freaking weekend in abrasive <laughs> cotton shirts and shorts and cardboard racing flats. Uh, he says, hell, Phil Coppice ran 210.05 as a single father of four while working on his feet in a factory for crying out loud. Now, he says, as a scrub runner who could barely keep up with Kipchoge for 200 meters, I don't want to say that Americans are soft, but it makes me wonder if today's current crop of marathoners are lacking the mental fitness slash fortitude to compete with the best in the world. Thoughts? Also, this upcoming weekend is both the Penn and Drake. Re- wait, what is? Wait, when is this? Oh, this email is from April 20th. What am I doing reading this? Oh, because he replied to the same e- on the same email thread. Wow. I mean, it, it was it was relevant outside of that last line you read. So. Okay, well, here's his new one. Yeah, forget I said that, and people probably were like, hey, you read this in the April. That's April 2019. Jeez. Okay. He said, just want to chime in on the number of U.S. men dipping below 210. Marshall, you can't do that to me. You got to start a new email every single time, man. I pulled up the Earth Sports all-time top marathon time since... January 1st, 2019, Lenny Career uh, has clocked the fastest time at 2.07.56, putting him at a tie for 1.45. Hare, Fable, and Drotti are the next Americans at 2.22, 2.37. There are 57 Ethiopians, 48 Kenyans, and 12 Japanese who have run faster than the top American over the past two years. In 2018, Galen's time of 2.06.07 was the 27th fastest in the world. After Galen, my fe- fellow Iowan and Drake University alum, Brogan Austin, was 294th with a 2.12.38. I think it's great that we're finally seeing American men break the 210 barrier. Fun fact, between uh, 89 and 2019, only 15 Americans ran sub 21030. Uh, there were 15 different individuals who ran sub 21030 between Bill Rogers in 1975 and Patrick Peterson and Ken Martin in 1989, uh, which he said before, while American marathoners are running faster, so is the rest of the world. We're probably not any closer to Kenya and Ethiopia or Japan for that matter. Uh, than we were two plus years ago, based purely on times. Additionally, outside of Rupp, I do not think we have anyone who can realistically challenge the Kenyans or Ethiopian dominance in the marathon major race at the Olympics. It'll be interesting to see what the landscape looks like in 10 years, though. Personally, the socioeconomics will need to change in Kenya and Ethiopia with running. They have a chance to change their lives and the lives of their descendants for potentially generations by claiming prize money at a handful of races in the United States. Unless you're in the top three, even then, it's no guarantee you're practically living in poverty. All the best. That is Marshall from St. Louis, formerly of Iowa. And I apologize for butchering those emails. Jason. Yeah, that's okay. So I'm, I'm soaking in both of those. Um, yeah, I mean, it's echoing a lot of what we've talked about where it's maybe not, you know, a drastic uh, step forward. Um, I mean, we're never going to compete with Kenya, Ethiopia. We could just accept that. Um, but... I, like I said, I mean, I've, I've repeated myself on this, but I think it just it, it widened the pool a little bit of guys who might be able to take a step forward, and maybe none of those guys do. Who knows? We don't we don't know for sure. Um, but I think <clears throat> the more guys you at have at two hundred nine, two ten, uh, the better chance one of them breaks through to two hundred seven, and I think that is you know at least where something can happen. Let's go to who do we got next? We have uh, Brian, emailer formerly from Raleigh and Pennsylvania, but now from Boulder. Drink. Uh, he wants to talk about Aussies. We yes, saw the of emergence of some yeah. future stars in, down in Australia on Tuesday at the Zatapak 10K. Rose Davies took the win in 31-39 ahead of Izzy Bat Doyle in 31-43. Excuse me, Davies only 21. Bat Doyle is a University of Washington grad and also pretty young, only 25. Conditions were not that great, hot and windy, so both can certainly run faster. Watch this space, he says. 
if uh, Brian talks about Aussies, you listen, and then two years later, you find out he was absolutely right. <laughs> you put your money on them now. Another one from Marshall, uh, Ryan Krauser. He has some thoughts on Ryan Krauser. While watching Ryan Krauser launch shot puts out of the stratosphere, I was struck not literally by the fact that we still have officials racing out to plant a stick to measure it based upon where they thought the shot put landed. Given we are in an age where we can have a virtual Haile Gabriel Selassie pace a track race, there has to be some type of technological advancement where it would automatically measure the distance of a throw or jump. Two, I tuned into the last 25 minutes of Jim Walmsley's 100K record attempt with about 5K to go. One of the announcers asked his coach or mentor something along the lines of, quote, will breaking the record change Jim's life, end quote. The response slightly suggested that no, this will not change his life and would largely be ignored or forgotten. Well, I think that, uh, well, I think running that pace for that distance in essentially a solo effort is crazy. It will never go mainstream. People can wrap their heads around breaking two hours in a marathon, but running 100K, probably not. Could this 100K record be the most irrelevant record out there? Whew. Wow. Marshall shade. From St. Louis, formerly of Iowa. I mean, he's he's not wrong, and it's not... It's nothing even that much against, you know, ultra running. It's... We talk about track can't break into the mainstream. Um, so, you know, 60-mile races are not going to either. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it's... I mean, really, so the 100K record compared to, I mean, where where does it slot in? At the, the 600 record? The 1K record? No, I think it's bigger than that because it got a head, it'll get Half a headline. Half marathon record? Just below the that? Ultra, the ultra community is pretty big. Okay. They are, and they're passionate. They're they're into it, and, yeah. I, and I like it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's... It, it's ama- like I said. I, I mean, it's amazing what they do. Absolutely incredible. I can't even put it into context though, because it's so far removed from anything I have ever done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for a sport to be popular, it needs to be. There's it seems relatable in some way. Yeah, I think you know, part of part of the team sport appeal among other things. There's a long list of reasons why team sports are popular, but people can identify with it because they played one of them at some point or do play them currently. And when you get into these extreme events, they're cool to watch. It's just hard to, I think it's hard hard to sustain a, a mainstream component Mm -hmm. uh, because people just think, Oh my, it's like a, crazy item on the news that you see and then you you read it and you're like whoa okay but then you move on and right. yeah that's, that's that's well yeah that's a good point i mean the guy the guy who free solos el capitan holy crap like that is completely insane and maybe even watch the documentary and and you get, get get into that uh but it's hard to relate to some of these ex, just completely extreme feats and if you're into extreme feats maybe you just move on to the next extreme feat maybe you're not like, are, are you an ultra running fan or are you just a, a fan of just like crazy sort of outdoor <laughs> pursuits? Uh, and then, and also it's, it's going to be really hard for there ever to be a consistent ultra schedule of like a hundred K this weekend. What's next Sunday? Oh, the 75 K. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think you brought up a good point. Like the, I think if you told any non running friend, Hey, this guy just ran over 60 miles at under six minutes per mile. They would be like, "Holy oh gosh, crap! Yeah, are you serious? Yeah. Like that? Yeah. That 
that it would get absolute astonishment from people and rightfully so because it's incredible and there's even more that they could probably they can relate more to that than David Rudisha running 140 because they don't really know what that means that's a good point too i think what they what they like is to to your point they like people doing extraordinary things in relatively ordinary activities mm right okay. so yeah. a, a sub so on a on a team sport or a let's just say golf right oh i've played that course before or how far did tiger woods hit it i only hit it this far you can go out and see how far you can hit a golf ball it's not it's not impossible to to do that or you watch someone play basketball at just an insanely high level and you can appreciate it or you've run a six, sub 6 minute mile once so you can get that right. and then he just turns it up to 100 so I, I think, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe the 100K, contrary to what Marshall thinks, is the most important <laughs> record. I think it's something that the average person could probably appreciate on a greater level than most regular track records because people don't know what a good time in the 100, or eh, maybe the 100, but not in the in the 2 or the 4 or the 8 or the 1500. Like People really don't know unless you follow the sport. Would you agree, though, the marathon obviously has cachet that others don't have? Yeah, and most people have the, competed in at least the 5K that has a marathon in it. Or, you know, like, they, yeah, yeah. There, there's some there's some familiarity to it. And there's enough stickers out there and mm-hmm. people they know who run the marathon and all these other things that it, I, th- I think, and, and those get thrown in the same thing, too, where you say, hey, Kipchoge ran four thirty six miles for a marathon or something. Yeah, and people are just yeah. like, no, that's he didn't do that because then the world would end. Um, <laughs> basically, but, yeah. But the mile is also mile still re- has that cachet as well, relevant yeah. because you. Know, but people aren't running the mile as forty year olds most of the time, whereas no. marathon it continues up as a participatory event long past your teenage years. Yeah. The mile yeah. has relation back to when you were a kid, like it, it, back when you were in PE, like you have that thing like, Oh, I had to do that. And maybe you remember the fast kid in class or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. But I think that starts to fade and okay, cool. It's the mile. But I, I think, I just think the merit, cause couldn't, the hundred, right? The hundred is relatable, but I don't think people know hundred meter times. Not really. I, I think most people know under ten. Like I think that I think the you know relatively the average sports fan probably tells you that. Okay. But that's they probably know forty uh, forty meter t- you know the forty yard dash times. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but they're not out running a forty, and they're not out really running. No, 100. no, it's just pure. Just like it's based on other sports what the standards other sports have set. Yeah. Just think about how many people non high schoolers actually even include high schoolers run the hundred every year versus how many people run the a marathon every year. Right. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's not <laughs> close. It's just, it's crazy to think about how many people have a marathon at, time. at any given marathon. That's more than the rest of the, the country combined. Yeah. 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 All right, let's go now to 
Um, oh man, we have this really good one from Chris. The emailer formerly from Mattoon, Illinois, yeah, the Green Wave, but currently from Chicago about the course measurements. But also, we mentioned how. Well, hey, let me just read this first. I'm not gonna read the entire thing. I'm gonna save it. But I'll just read this beginning part of it. Okay. Uh, he says, "Apologies in advance for a very long email, but this is a twofer." I got a good hard laugh on my run listening to the podcast where you both called on me to further explain course measurement and certification and also mused that one of the listeners is likely an expert in racketeering because that's me too. In addition to being the kind of running nerd who knows about the short course prevention factor, I'm an attorney who practices include Medicare fraud whistleblower lawsuits. Let's dig in. Oh, so I'm going to say the it. best. I want to save it, but that's pretty amazing. Um, okay, yeah. Make sure we we have to come back to this because I'm I'm very intrigued. Yeah, uh, I just thought it was. I don't remember when we brought up racketeering, but we definitely brought up racketeering. Oh yeah, we talked about it for a couple minutes at least, and I yeah, I don't know where. I mean, I never know where we started to like how we get there, but mm-hmm. you know, that's just part of the part of the show. Trevor from Sunny SoCal. He yeah. says, "Hey Kevin, I know Hayward is a touchy subject, so I'm not trying to pour salt on the wound." But I came across this article where they mentioned that various that various salvage material from Hayward Field was kept for different reasons. Most interesting to me was the line tracked on USA plans to inlay pieces of wood into metals for top finishers. Ooh. At the US Olympic team trials slated for June. Regardless of one's thoughts about the whole rebuilding of the stadium, I think that having a piece of wood from Hayward in your Olympic trials medal is pretty cool. That's Trevor. That is very cool. Uh, without question. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Um, it reminds me of my, my wife one year for Christmas got me cufflinks with pieces of Wrigley, uh, wood from the bleachers of Wrigley field when they did some of the, uh, renovations. I think it's blasphemous personally that they would, uh, destroy Hayward field. So that way, I mean, yeah, it, it's still, it's not good that it happened, but it is a cool idea at the end of a very bad idea. does that make sense it makes perfect sense it's like when you've had a bunch of drink and you're like you know what just chug this bottle of water yeah just and it's yeah it's it's you know leaving those aspirin and big glass of water on the side of the bed and just going hey tomorrow jason i got you and that's it's appreciated yeah uh this is from daniel he says, Ayo, just hopped on Twitter and saw that Japan is most likely going to cancel the Olympics. I didn't open any articles yet, so if this ends up being fake news by the time this email gets around, feel free to ignore. As a track fan, it would be a big hit to miss another championship season, so I can only imagine how the athletes would feel, although I do have a hot take on gap years that I'll send in at some point. That said, is there any hope that World Athletics managed to throw together a World Championships to make up for the lost Olympics? If so, where and when would you expect or want it to be held? I think the likelihood would be incredibly small because of the logistical demands of putting on a world championships. And also by the time they decide to cancel, it's going to be late enough (laughs) to where finding a host and setting up the logistics for it is going to be immensely challenging to the point where they couldn't do it because they're going to give every opportunity to make these, these, these olympics happen because it's already been canceled once so yeah they're not if it's gonna get canceled it's not getting canceled in february i'll tell you that well yeah and i think that's the big thing like if 
<clears throat> say right now, tomorrow they announce like, hey, we can't make this happen. You know, if if Japan was a, a you know a hot zone, it was it was worse. It seems way better than a most places I, I think from what i remember seeing about it but well, like, when say, they compared it to florida because florida wanted to host i think japan or florida had five times the amount of deaths yeah so like it's i think japan has done overall i mean it's not hard to do a better job than florida let's be honest but it's let's say tomorrow for whatever reason they said we have to cancel like maybe an outside shot that they put something together for mm-hmm. august like that you know some somewhere steps up and and does it but i think you're absolutely right i think it would take they won't cancel until they absolutely have to, and there's no choice. And by that point, there's not a whole lot you can do. And maybe a, the Diamond League final really decides to to up the game, but uh, yeah, wouldn't quite be the same. Yeah, I think it doesn't seem like it would be that difficult, and that's why right? I get, I yeah, get this. Like, but but I've just learned in track that everything is just immensely more difficult than than it should be. So. I, I, I guess a natural play because people would say, well, let's just let's just have it in Hayward because right. it's going to it's going to host it the next year. Uh, but I don't know. You don't know what's been scheduled in Hayward Field during that t- or what's going on in the city of Eugene in terms of like hotels being booked. Right. right. That's that's like impossible to sort out. Uh, I, I'd incline I'd be inclined to think of maybe a, a site that's already had a world championship recently like a london yeah but but that's difficult too what are what are what are each country's protocols for yeah it's for getting tested and i also think i think a part of it is it'll feel like a letdown and even though it probably shouldn't because we look at world championships and olympics as basically the same thing uh I th- I think there would be like some trepidation of just like there'd be so many people being d- completely deflated by the cancellation that it would be uh I don't know if it would be it would it would be difficult I think to rally the amount of support and power behind it to to get it to go. I think there'll be a, there'll be diamond leagues for sure. Yeah, I mean I think to us it's you know, hey, the Olympics still hold a special spot but mainly we want to see the absolute best compete at the absolute highest level um but at, to the athletes to the majority of certainly american fans and, and a lot of the worldwide fans the olympic just holds certain you know cachet that the world championships don't so it would be a letdown in a certain aspect like for us we're like hey we still get to see these absolute best like for me it's like a 9.9 compared to a 10 like yeah. if they were able to do it right but they're not really worried about getting me to watch well there's just a huge difference between a diamond league meet and a world championship meet and then obviously a huge difference between a world championship meet and the olympics in terms of the amount of people that are there and and you have to ask yourself well if japan isn't cool with hosting the olympics okay well that's this behemoth of a of a meet but the world championships is still pretty dang big yeah it's not it's not like hosting the inspiration games or hosting one of these the you know monaco or anything like that like the amount of athletes that are involved to make it a true world championships uh is large so then you you have to figure out well what site is going to be okay with and want to pay for this many athletes to come in yeah without fans or limited at best yeah yeah. So 
that's the other like getting somebody to put up the money for it is just hard to to figure out too when you have no idea what you're going to get back. So that's my long way of saying I think it's unlikely for all those reasons. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be awesome. Like, I, I would love the idea because it's like overall for track fans, we just want like, hey, we were robbed a championship last year. Yeah, like we don't want to be robbed. We just don't want to keep having these off years that you know, like, and the athletes. I mean, they if you've if your absolute peak and some athletes' absolute peak fell in twenty and twenty twenty one, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's yeah, yeah, a, yeah, a, a decent amount absolutely that this was their absolute best chance and if that olympics don't happen this year or last year like that's life altering like massively massively life altering like money just like your your life's work like everything mm-hmm. about it is just a bummer like the the biggest bummer and it's i i feel for those people i think they'll look at it and they'll say okay there's just going to be this gap where the olympics were supposed to be that'll just be the break let's just keep the diamond league schedule the way it is we have these meet directors hard at work. They had all these contingency plans of how they wanted to host these meets. They'll be able to do it. They've already got permission and clearance and have the appropriate number of volunteers. Let's just go for it. Like, let, let's just, let's just proceed that way. They'll still have a season. It'll be more than the 2020 season. It won't be what we wanted in 2020 or in 2021. Uh, but it's, it's a big enough task on its own without throwing in a 10 day monster meat right yeah it's i don't know it's i mean let's just you know i i think you're right i i still think the olympics will happen i think it's very likely without fans and that would be a bummer but it would still be better than the alternative yeah yeah and that's that's where i'm at it's like if you're canceling the olympics it that means there's going to be serious challenges with you know, hosting the hosting a world championship event that brings in people from all over the world for an extended period of time. Right. Let's go to, uh, this is Mick formerly from Bendingo now from Camperdown. Good day guys on the off chance. You weren't those real places (laughs) on the off chance. You weren't keeping a close eye on the box Hill athletics track on Tuesday night. I thought better. I thought I'd better let you know it's time to pull out the world record song. I started the following. I started following the career of Jared Clifford around three years ago, when I found out he held the course record for my local park run. The Timbu Park Run is a low-key 5K fun run along an old railroad track, starting and finishing at a whiskey distillery. On any given Saturday, you can expect the winner to be crossing the line in around 20 minutes. So a course record of 15:34 sticks out like dog balls. <laughs> there we go. Okay, it's a, it's a great saying. We lost our. G rating on this. <laughs> when I looked the record holder up on Strava, as you do, I was surprised and incredibly impressed to find out he was a visually impaired athlete who, as a teenager, had completed competed at the 2016 Rio Paralympic Games in the T12, T13 class. In 2019, he won gold in the 1500 and 5000 at the World Para Championships in Dubai, despite having his racing goggles stolen leading up to the race. Come wow. on, Gramil, what are you doing, man? Leave him alone. <laughs> Tonight, he raced against some of Australia's best able-bodied athletes in windy conditions at the Australian 1500-meter championships. Clifford ran an astonishing 342 to finish sixth. Oof. 
and break not only the world record in this category, but also claim the fastest running time in any para class over the distance. Incredibly, this is the third time in the last month he has run under the world record. However, as the previous two races didn't meet all the requirements for ratification, they didn't count. He seems to love racing and love breaking records, so Brian's friend from last week might be advised to pay his $120 to get his blindfold mile <laughs> world record ratification fast-tracked in case Clifford decides to come after it. Cheers. That is Mick. Man. That's that's incredible. I mean, like, really incredible. I mean, 342 is good by any standard. Um, yeah. So that I'm, I'm blown away. Uh, Bendigo, by the way, Australia, which I mean, that's good day. Was that in, not a hint to you? Yeah, I mean, it was, but I just, you know, it's just outside, it's Victoria, just a little north of Melbourne. Okay. I just needed to get a, a feel for it, you know? <laughs> oh, you know, just a little outside Melbourne. Yeah. You know, I, I know Australia really well. So, um, no, but that's, that's, uh, blown away by that. I just, that's gotta be so, I mean, we talked about, you know, the, the, the blindfolded version, um, how how scary that would be i mean i guess clearly he's just gotten used to it where he can compete at this this high of a level I, i'm i'm just yeah speechless on that can you uh can you play the song yeah and he gets he gets the legit one i i, I just oh I'm, yeah for sure I like that It's a world record The likes of which has never been seen It's a world record Highest, fastest, farthest a human's ever achieved Wouldn't believe if I told you Go to YouTube and I'll show you Got results to verify ratified Well it's a world record The likes of which has never been seen Well it's a world record Highest, fastest, farthest a human's ever achieved Well it's a world record Well it's a move on now to we got time for one more yeah actually do you want to play chief's uh chief's voicemail we got ones from brian luke uh ryan and chris but i want to save some for these for next week we have we got two voicemails from chief and they came three hours apart (laughs) okay here we go i'm gonna play the play in order here what up boys chief from illinois down in neapolis drink your milk braylon yeah, no, 100% agree with you guys. Eugene has got the fans, and they got the bid together, and they actually put it to work. So, yeah, they they did earn it. Um, but wasn't there some controversy around that where Vin LaNana was either taking bribes or giving bribes? I guess I shouldn't throw my boy Vin underneath the bus because those of you that have listened to the pod long enough know that Vin, Vin got me into the – the 2019 uh, USA TF Championships. So, shout out to Vin. But yeah, I thought I thought that there was some controversy around some some bribes. So I guess what I'm saying is like, so other cities weren't willing to bribe the officials to 
get the world championships. But that, peace, boys. <laughs> I mean, it uh, seems like that's part of the application process. There uh, was an investigation. Recently. Well, there was an investigation, but I don't know where it. I don't know where it went. The Department of Justice was in, involved, and that I don't. It like Lanana lost uh, some of his luster because of it. Uh, you know, like U- USATF was trying to distance themselves from it. So I have no. I have no idea what the status is of that. I would just say, uh, as someone who went to the Doha World Championships, Doha did not get those championships because they promised a packed house. <laughs> well, maybe they did promise a packed house. They did not get those world championships because there was actually a packed house. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. It seems like there's there's a lot of things that go into the process of being chosen for the world championships. And, uh, you know, we uh, Oregon happened to do a job for it. So, whatever. It's a two-hour flight from my house. Yeah, good enough for me. All right, one more uh, voicemail here from Chief. Here we go. What up, boys? Chief from Indiana now, or Chief from Illinois now from Indianapolis. Drink your milk, Braylon. Sorry about that, guys. Um, Got a question. It's inauguration week here in the U.S. Uh, We've seen a new president. So let's... Let's do a little uh, role play, Jason and Kevin, to throw it back to the PTI games. You have just been selected or elected as the Earth Sports World Athletics, IAAF, whatever the hell they want to call themselves now, president. And you have the ability to change three things within 24 hours. What are your top three things? So I need three different things from each one of you. So I'm curious to hear... What would be the three things that you would change about track and field, about how it's marketed, that the athletes have to comply with, anything like that um, right off the bat? I'll respond next week after I hear yours with my three. So with that, peace, boys. I like this question a lot. This is good. Do, I go, do I go first? Uh, yes. Uh, easiest first one for me, no more off year. World Championships every year that's not Olympics. Okay. That was going to be mine too, but go ahead. Yeah. So that's, that's <laughs> first. Do you, do you have another one you want to, uh, you want to throw in there? No, you can do your three first. Um, that was like the, this one was like, Oh, that's a, that's a no data immediate kind of thing. Um, man, after that, I mean, I, I, I would, I, well, Oh, change the schedule to make all doubles doable at championships important it seems to be something you care about yeah that's something i'm very passionate about um i already have a rough draft up so i can you know get this get this going in that 24 hours no problem mm-hmm. um and then i think i'd you know i mean this would take a lot more in-depth thought and and, and planning uh but you know hey i'm the president of this thing now i could i could come up with something i'd, I'd probably try to change I, I want to change the regular season to have more meaning, more. I think the Diamond League's done a better job lately, and I think mm-hmm. the the way it, I think it's on the right track. But I think we could probably even do a little more to uh, to get it to go that way. Yeah, I, my first thought was no, no off year because that doesn't make any sense. I've talked about this idea that I liked. It was actually a Tony Revis's idea, which was to alternate which world marathon majors 
has all the pros by season. Mm, so that's a good one. Yeah. So Boston, this is a men's year. So you put all the money into the men's race and then London, it's the women's year. Uh, again, it'd be really difficult to make that happen. But if I'm the president, I could. So you could bet you'd basically have one good race in the spring. Fall might be a little tricky with Berlin, Chicago, and New York. So you'd have to move some things around there. Uh, maybe I kick one of those out. Maybe I just say, you know Ooh. what? You're not, you don't belong in the world marathon majors anymore. Uh, maybe, maybe I do relegation for world marathon majors uh, and, and, and promotion. The other thing I was thinking, again, I, I, we, we go back to, to a similar thing of how do you make the regular season matter more? I just think how do you get people to race more? And I think, and I've talked about that before, switch, start to shift to a world championships that's based on qualification and not just based on country that you represent. Mm. So you got to work your way, you got to work your way in and then it's just the best people. It's the, it's the 24 or the 32 best people, regardless of what country they're from. So you could have you know, 15 people from Kenya, theoretically, in a race. That's, that's interesting. Uh, is that, that's every world championships, or is that like one out of the, every four years is just like the go nuts world championships, or the, I, I don't know. I'd like all of them to be, I I would reserve the right to change my mind, just like World Athletics had like an idea about Diamond League and cutting events, and like, nah, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you know all that? We didn't really mean that. So I'd reserve the right to change it, but yeah, there's all these sacred things that you hold close to your heart as a sports fan. And then the NBA is like, you know, this year there's going to be 10 teams in the playoffs and they're going to do this really obscure play-in game where the seventh best team plays the eighth best team and the ninth best team plays the 10th best team. And the loser of the 7-8 game plays the winner of the 9-10 game. <laughs> like, that's so weird. If someone told us that 10 years ago. We'd say, knock it off with this NBA Jam stuff, right? Like, that's weird. It's just a weird, strange way to to uh, to decide, like, who's in the playoffs. And yet, yeah. And yet we do it. So I would obviously reserve the right to change it. But I would, you know, I'd, I'd like to tinker with it a bit and, and see what we could do. Would you be – because that would do two things. That would make the world championship field deeper and a better representation of who the best in the world is. And would also make the – regular season more relevant because you could you'd have people competing to try to earn their way in to the meet yeah yeah so you're talking are you talking a um not as much time-based qualifiers as performance-based qualifier like well that's the tough thing right because that's what they're that's what the world champion that's what they're trying to do now with the you know this whole system of um iwf world rankings and stuff which most people don't like so yeah it would I would guess it would have to be some sort of you you tinker with it. Maybe there'd be meets throughout the year that uh, would be like an auto qualifier or something. Mm, if that makes sense. I like that. No, Just, I like I like a I like a like maybe like three meet you know three of them every year get chosen as just like automatically uh, yeah. Well, and listen, this wouldn't be this wouldn't be perfect because. One of the things that would probably be written in would be, oh, you need a, um, you need a buy for the reigning world champion. So then you could, oh well, Usain Bolt just he's just gonna 
chill like he did before. Right. <laughs> and that would be that. Um, so that might be – that would be something you have to work around. Maybe you don't even have that. I don't know. Or maybe you get the buy, but you also then – that just that gives you 50 points or whatever, and you need 100 to get to the meet. So you, you need to still – need need 100 to get the world championship, so you still need to show up and figure out a way to earn 50 more points, whatever yeah. that is, in this weird system of currency. I like it, like- though. It's, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's headed in the right direction for sure. The problem is when I – unless you have an, a, an event that's extremely – geographically diverse you get to a lot of these championships and you can eliminate 85 percent of the field pretty quickly yeah and that's kind of a bummer the 100 is pretty geographically diverse well that ebbs and flows a bit the 800 obviously is very geographically diverse the 400 can be but the distance races aren't Mm -hmm. at all (laughs) i mean you get the random i mean you get Coco and you get Mo Farah. So you get pe- people like that breaking it up. But we've always, that's helped us make all these picks all these years of just like, okay, well, there's three Kenyans that'll be there in the mix in the steeple. And then Jager will be there with McKeesey. So there's like five basically people who can medal in this race. And, but there's what, a field of 24? Yeah. It, it would be a lot cooler if that field of 24 was the 24 best people. It's a good point. I'm not. Uh, I'm not disagreeing with it. I think uh, listeners are going to have better ideas, even. So yes, and what would you change if you were the the czar of track and field, world athletics? I'm sure Chief's going to call in because he said he's going to listen to ours and then come up with better ones. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to be like, "You have to run with me before you can <laughs> do anything." Yeah, I. Well, everybody's achieved that though, so that's just <laughs> that's. That's, that's, that's yeah, it's already step. done. It's that's like drink a glass of water. It's like okay, cool, I got it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure we've listed a million throughout the years. But I was trying to think of ones that were ambitious, but also somewhat feasible to do. Yeah, yeah. A couple uh, like you know, adding the world championships. I mean, the logistics of planning the world championships is hard. But just saying, hey, this is going to happen now. Not difficult. Right. Changing right. the schedule is literally not hard at all. That that's yeah. a no brainer. So a couple of those are really easy to implement. You know, overhauling the season, yeah, it's a little more difficult, but Yeah, and it's a challenge because you want to keep in those big traditional meets that are just fun because of the history and they don't really need any other context around them. And you don't want to change those. Yeah, and and like I said, you know, adding points and, and different stuff like that to just more important meets, or you can adjust that as you go. Whatever, whatever you have to do. I mean, there's there's lots of lots of ways to do this. And if you, you know, like I said, you reserve the right to change your mind or improve things as you go. Mm-hmm. If you do this one thing and then people are like, "Nah, that didn't really work," then you adjust it to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what being the commissioner is all about. You can just change stuff. Right? You just unilaterally. You just make stuff up. Just say, you know what? Uh, we're done. You know that idea that I had? Yeah, that's it. So it appears, uh, Jason, the Spurs have beaten the Celtics. Uh, you know, that- I, I just checked to see how, how it was going. And, I've been uh, monitoring. Got to be honest, I haven't paid attention to the last hour of this show. Uh, I kind of blacked out. Because before you and I were recording – the Spurs went on this massive run. Yeah. Uh, outscored the Celtics by 19 in the second. 
But then subsequent to that, and so they were up 15 at the half, gave up a 22 to three run in the third quarter. <laughs> it's the so NBA. Then I started, so, yeah, so then I was just like curious, like, oh my gosh, are they actually going to blow this? So I had just had this on uh, while we were talking. And then, well, it says 109, 106 with zero seconds left on the clock. Um, oh no, wait, now there's 0.2 seconds left on the clock. So I think, I think the Spurs are good unless they're going to tip in a, th- a three-pointer from full court. But yeah, now we can talk. Oh, here's you just sent me a, a, a tweet. Okay, so this is getting really good here. So yeah, actually, I just saw this. It was you know Spurs are up two with twenty seconds to go, and then Ooh. and then Murray just picking <laughs> Kemba's pocket. I mean that's 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 your game winner right there. Uh, well, no, actually they went down and fouled uh, Tatum. Uh, gave him an and one. So that was- <laughs> well, but you know that kind of swung it because at that point you know they could they could tie it, take the lead, but Murray coming through big. Oh my goodness. Yeah, what a mess of a game though. Jeez, all those runs. It's a good okay. win. It is. It is over. 106. All right. Let's read more emails then. Psych for everybody who thought we were done. <laughs> we're not done yet. Uh, Luke, who is the official cycling correspondent of the show, mm, that's right. He said, "Don't watch the 1989 Tour finale. Time trials are boring as hell. Don't do it." But then he oh. followed up immediately after and said, "Sorry, I sent that last email before I listened further for Jason's dulcet reading of the Wikipedia article, <laughs> stage 21 of the 1989 Tour." The vast majority of the time, stage 21 is a bunch start slash finish stage where everyone rides in together and features a sprint finish. In that case, the overall contest is pretty much wrapped up since the overall leaders can just hide in the middle of the group of riders and all finish with the same time. Side note, if there is less than a one second gap between riders when they cross the finish line on group stages, those riders get the same time. So in a group of 100 plus riders that all rolls in together, Everyone gets the same time. The exception is individual time trials. But in 1989, the actual last stage was an individual time trial, not a group stage. They switch around the route every year. In that case, it's not unheard of for riders to get fairly wide time Mm. gaps on each other. You can't hide from the wind in individual time trials, and sometimes riders crash and lose a bunch of time, and some riders are just better at it but they're generally boring as hell. I can also tell you saddle sores are no joke, especially if you have mm. to ride hundreds of miles on them. The French press is brutal. <laughs> the French press is brutal on their own athletes. And the Laurent Fignon should have cut off his ponytail debate is one of my favorite <laughs> examples of how seriously Europeans take cycling and how self-important some of them are. There are literally hundreds of dollars on the line and dozens of fans. I think cycling and running both are similar in that way. We kind of develop a Napoleon complex about it. Stay healthy. That is Luke from Delaware. Yeah, that's a good – that's a great way to explain track fans. And I say that as a track fan myself. Probably oh, with Napoleon complex. without question. Yeah, I mean it's – you know, we, we we have no shortage of bad takes. Um, I don't – I haven't blamed someone's hair for <laughs> a loss yet. Uh, but I – like Kevin said, I reserve the right to change my mind on this. So you never know. <laughs> That's, those are the most powerful words in the English language. I reserve <laughs> the right to change my. I think uh, Luke should be writing the uh, Wikipedia entries for this, you know, because uh, because I, I mean he, he's saying it's boring as hell, but then the way he's describing this it makes me want to watch it. Yeah. Okay. Let's do one more in the bonus section of the the House of Run podcast. Uh, Brian from Knoxville. Call this the Spurs victory lap section of emails. Well, I realize we're only at one twenty, so we should have kept going anyway. I hope you couldn't notice I was just checking the score the whole time. I mean, just, no, no, I just had it. I wasn't watching or anything like that. Um, but I thought for a second, I'm like, ooh, 
we could I we could be done in time and I could watch the last five minutes and then now that that's off the board, let's just roll. Uh, yeah. Hey, it's working. Okay. Brian wants to know, is there a long course prevention factor? My local club could occasionally use that, especially for its New Year's Day 5K. I've been burned twice. The first time in 2015, a course monitor came screaming at me and the guy a few meters ahead of me. She was saying everyone in front of us had turned too early and would be disqualified. She yelled that we were the leaders now. I ran with a grin thinking I was going to steal a podium due to these freak circumstances. As my watch went over 3.2 miles, my smile faded. It turns out I was directed to run 5,375 meters instead of the 5K and finish 47th. What? So the course monitor maybe mm. had, you know, the wrong the, – the people maybe turned the right way? I, I'm very confused, yeah. It's, it's one cone, man, can make all the difference. Two years later at the same race but on a different course, some confusion at the turnaround cone caused the course to be long. They had placed a cone for the actual turnaround and a second one to block off traffic. Ah, mm. the old mistake. The volunteer directed us around the second cone. A quick aside, up to this point, I've been trying to get under 20 minutes for 5K. I had, no kidding, finishes at 20.03, 20.02, and 20.01. This one only added about 200 meters, but put my finishing time at 20.13. I can't begin to describe the absolute thrill of doing math to decide if you finally achieved a long-term personal goal. I suspect your listeners have even better stories of bad beats due to long courses. You know, we did our quote-unquote serious racing before this amount of – this era of precision measurement. So who knows? Who knows? I'm yeah, sure there was a we... couple times when we, you know, we, we ran, what, like on a 2.2-mile course where you broke 10 minutes, um, which we were yeah. not capable of doing at the time. <laughs> Yeah, everything um, was long. Like everything was short. I don't think there was much that was long, other than your. What was that race that we ran? The St. Patrick's Day race at your. Yeah, that one, and that was a wrong turn, turn or yeah. cone or something because we ended up running four and a half miles or something <laughs> in a five k. Yeah, and we won because yeah, the, the least competitive race in the world. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I hastened to even call it uh, a race. It was it was a jaunt. Hey, I was four-time defending champion of that race, the St. Yeah. Patrick's Day 5K. I was not eligible because I did not live in your community, but I, I was able – I was like a guest runner. It's like when they have some random uh, Ethiopian guy run at the Japanese championships. That's Yeah, that's and he just, just gives the crowd a thrill, you know? <laughs> I, did, I did do some waving. Uh, they thought we were basically um, like Olympians. It's great. It's just great. Uh, yeah, that, okay. those were good times. I, I always enjoyed the, the random, you know – jumping in a random thing like that where kind of was no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> and there was really just, I mean, not that there was that much pressure in racing, but just to, uh, to have that going on was, was a good time. With the benefit of hindsight and real realizing nothing that you did in high school really mattered on it. Yeah. So not of scale, at all. Do you think you would have run faster or slower? It's a good question. Um, I feel like I didn't really figure out how to run until senior year. Like I didn't really crack myself racing. And at that point, I don't think it would have mattered one way or the other. Cause like I, I, I would, I actually learned how to run to just like complete exhaustion in a race. Mm-hmm. And before that, I, I didn't really have that down. So you, so that's a, yes. so I don't you know. So I don't think like, at, at, like I, at that point, I don't think it made a difference. Um, I think it was just like learning how to actually race. Like 
I mean, and also, there's no chance anyone could have convinced me that it didn't matter at the time. Oh, correct. Same with me. See, I think I would have done better if I had less pressure, but I mm. just guessing about you. I think maybe it was it was good that you had pressure because you probably yeah. I mean, I don't th- you know it, 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 it. I don't think it affected me. Um, and I've crumbled to pressure in, in many sports, but I, I don't think it, it it affected me too much in running. Yeah. Oh, it certainly did for me. But then you want you you need to get that sweet spot where you're you're the right amount of nervous. Yeah, the adrenaline's going and yeah, getting you, you know. And that's that yeah, exactly that sweet spot. But that's really hard to do. And I bet if you could look inside you know, get inside the mind of successful athletes, that's probably the tra- trait that a lot of them have other than the otherworldly physical abilities. Right. But that ability to have the exact amount of adrenaline that you need at the right time. Oh, yeah, because I think the the athletes who can't, you know, who, who crumble under that big thing, and we've all called someone a choker or whatever in the thing. But, like, the truth is, like, those athletes almost always get weeded out in the minor, in the more minor meets or the mm-hmm. minor, you know, events because – there is massive pressure when literally your livelihood is on the line or tens of thousands of fans or you're on TV, like all those things. Like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. if that's going to crumble you, you're, you're not going to get to that point to begin with. Yeah. That's great. That's a great point. I mean, yes, it's just automatic at that point. You're just, you're repeating the same skill over and over again. And you're just, you're so locked in mentally. My, my problem was there was no, consistency from one to the other one one race i'd be able to handle it and the other race i wouldn't and there was no real rhyme or reason why (laughs) like it never it never became automatic throughout like i guess you could say eight eight years of like running seriously yeah it's just i was just such a high variance runner it was like you know like leo manzano back in the day where she's like one time he'd like win the race and then the other time he'd get last and run like a 355, 1500. You're like, wait, what's going, what's going on with this guy? That was me, but way slower. It was just it was completely all over the board, and it was mostly mental. I don't think it was a physical thing at all. It's just like sometimes I was dialed in and sometimes I wasn't. I'm sure people really enjoyed listening to the end of this podcast where we talk hey, about the we, Tour de France. And we always go off the rails school. at the end. That's, that's part of the deal. I think some people love it the yeah. most, and some people turn it off s- before we get here. It's such a cliche, though. We're just reliving high school. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, kind of the whole reason we did I guess college for me, I ran in college, too. I mean, I ran club and co- But I ran, I cared about my performance in college. I'll say that. Right. <laughs> that, 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 that was accurate. Uh, and even, so what was interesting, though, is get out of college, don't run for a year, basically, then start running back, r- get in a marathon, run a half marathon, then go back to, you know, consistent training where I was usually running five to six days a week and then got in, you know, road races here and there. And I still had it like I, the, the nervousness, it, it never, it like, it never went away. Like when I got to the start line, I have a specific memory of going to this road race in Santa Monica when I was, I don't know, maybe 26, way past when I ever could have been serious about running but I wanted to – I was running the 10K. I think I wanted to just like run 36 or break 36 or something. That was my goal. And I was I was just like in the porta potty constantly <laughs> before the race because I was just so yeah. nervous. I couldn't keep anything down. 
And I was like, wait, why? Like, when am I going to actually enjoy this? <laughs> like the, the racing part of it. Um, right. Yeah. That's interesting. See, and it's, and I totally relate to that, but in other sports, I had that way more where running, it didn't hit me quite the same way. But I don't know. I, I mean, just, it, that's not to say I didn't perf- like. There was plenty of races I just didn't perform. But like, I didn't. I remember, you know, being a little nervous. But like, never. I don't. I don't feel like it affected my race. But maybe, maybe it did. I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. Yeah. yeah, and I remember the last serious race I did. Serious air quotes. Well, no, that was the Meb. The Meb race was the last serious race I did. But there was one right before my son was born. So this would have been 2015, and I wanted to break 18. Because I was like, if I don't break 18, I want to get back to sub 18. Because in my mind, I was like, that means I'm serious. I probably talked about this on the show at the time. And I ran, like, I then I finally was consistent. But I was just slow. <laughs> it was one race, like, I had an 1805, 18. Like, that summer, I was, before he was born, I was, I was really making an effort. Because I knew this would be the last time I'd probably be able to train uh, consistency for consistently for a really long time. Uh, and then the very last one before... My son was born, I think, like, I got second to this guy, and I remember really, like, bearing down the last 800 trying to catch him, and being a little bit more, I guess you could say, mature mentally, in terms of, like, no, I'm gonna go after this dude, like, I'm not gonna give up. I didn't pass him, because I have zero kick, but, like, and I ran, like, 1803 or something, (laughs) I missed it again, but that was where I was, like, starting to, I was able to, to hit singles, it wasn't, like, oh, it's either a triple or I'm done. <laughs> I was able to just, like, do do solid performances, like, every couple months and, and be happy with the outcome and enjoy it. But that was when I was you know, north of 30 at that point. Yeah, I still have delusions about eventually, uh, you know, not, I mean, I know I'll never be, like, fast, but, like, you know, getting back out there, running a, running a decent time. I don't know. Well, you got fast shoes now, so there's nothing. I, well, the downshifters. I don't know if that qualifies, but I've got, I've got, I've got what sound like something you, you know, you'd buy if you were like 68, and you're just like, I need to get to brunch a little quicker. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it there. Houseofrun at gmail.com is the email address. Thanks everybody for sticking with us on this interesting episode. Covered a lot of ground. Next week, who knows what we'll talk about. I'm not going to try to predict that. But thanks, everybody, for writing in. If we didn't get your email, we'll read it next week. Send us more email, housemanagement.com. See y'all later. Jessica Ennis, who's going to take over Athlete of the Year next week. Or who's the female Athlete of the Year right now? That's true. Place. No big, uh, yeah, no no, uh, ju- no one jumping out to the lead in that. Let's just say Vashti Cunningham. Done. Congrats. Thank <laughs> you.